A while back, I was in an elevator, and in front of me was a girl who was wearing a backpack that was just covered in patches. And one of those patches on her backpack just jumped right out at me, and it said this. It said, Jesus, save me. And at the bottom it said, from your followers. Now I have to admit, I have to be honest, when I first read this, my first response was to get defensive. To think, who are you? You know, you don't know me, and I'm one of Christ's followers. I mean, who do you think you are? And many of us, we have a tendency to do just that, don't we? I mean, we just often dismiss this type of criticism from people. Let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's rare that we take what others say about us to heart, no matter who it is. But then I began to think to myself, well, is there any truth to that criticism? Because let's be honest, we're, we're not perfect, are we? In fact, do you know what book spends a great deal of time criticizing followers of Christ and their behavior? The Word of God. It does. Oftentimes, it is God who is the one dealing out the criticism to us through His Word. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes this morning entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And, as, and, and, and this morning we're going to be back in chapter 7 and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through chapter 8, verse 1. And as we've talked about already in this study, Solomon was a student of life if there ever was one. And in the previous chapters, he has shared with us his observations on pleasure, projects, possessions, popularity, wisdom, hard work, money, laughter, folly, success, failure, education, politics. I mean, he has looked at just about everything under the sun. And in this passage of Scripture, Solomon continues with this thorough investigation of life by taking a critical look at the beliefs and practices of the religious, trying to make sense of what truly honors God. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about how to honor God. So let's get started. Here's the first principle. If you want to honor God, you must respond properly to life's difficulties. You want to honor God? Respond properly to life's difficulties. Solomon says in verse 15, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Now let's stop here for just a moment. As we have seen already, Ecclesiastes is one of those books that just gives us a harsh dose of reality, doesn't it? I mean, this book at times, it just smacks us upside the head with the cold hard facts of life. And though Louis Armstrong once said, it's a wonderful world, Solomon says, it sure doesn't seem that way at times. Truth is, life is harsh. It is. The good guys don't always win. The heroes don't always ride off into the sunset. And as we said a few weeks ago when talking about life's difficulties, injustice and oppression are ever-present in our world. We see the innocent dealt discipline, and we see the guilty get off scot-free. That's life. 
And in verse 15, Solomon shares with us another issue that he has observed in life that's extremely frustrating. And it's something I believe that many of us have probably witnessed at one time or another ourselves. Solomon says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. In other words, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. And he says, there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Now, can you feel the frustration of Solomon here? I mean, you can, can't you? I mean, at times, his frustration just leaps off the page at us, doesn't it? I mean, he's miffed here. He's miffed. He's upset at the fact that the, the righteous are often snuffed out in this life. Like the Billy Joel song, Only the Good Die Young. Solomon says, yeah, Billy, I can see your point. The, the good do, they, they do die young. While the wicked, they go on to live a full and prosperous life. And let's be honest, that's not just true in Solomon's day, is it? We know that to be true today as well. I mean, we do. We see this all the time. We see the good die young and the wicked prosper. Think about the greatest man to ever live, the Lord Jesus. He just lived 33 years. And then in our day, you have someone like Hugh Hefner. Oh, Hugh... It seems like he's going to outlive us all, doesn't it? I mean, do any of you like this fact of life? The fact that the good die young while the wicked prosper. No, I, I would say we're all a bit miffed at that, right? We can all agree with Solomon here. And as a result, because of this reality, what often happens is, as a result, we respond in ways that aren't God-honoring. Let's look at what Solomon says in verse 16 through 17. He says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? When Solomon says, Be not overly righteous, he is not saying that we should not pursue godliness. What he is saying is, we should avoid being self-righteous. Now remember, Solomon has just described in verse 15 how he has seen bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And upon hearing that, upon hearing Solomon say that, Solomon is anticipating some, say, some saying this, Hey, that's not fair. It's not fair that the good die young. God, you owe me for the life that I've lived for you. You need to bless me. You need to exchange blessing for obedience because of the life I've lived. Now be honest. Maybe you've not used those exact words, but how many of you have said this or have thought this at one time or another? Sure, we all have, right? Something like, I can't believe... God, that you would allow me to go through this when this person over here clearly deserves it. Why me, God? I don't deserve this. Ever said something like that or thought something like that before? Solomon's point is to make this kind of statement is to be overly righteous and overly wise. 
to put what you think is right and your wisdom over God's. Solomon warns against this. He warns against us being self-righteous. You know, at times when I hear of people going through times of tragedy in their life, my personal prayer for them is that they would grow humbly closer to God in and through these circumstances instead of growing bitter toward Him. You know, normally people go one of two ways here, don't they? They either grow humbly closer to God and they trust in Him or they grow bitter toward Him. And you know what you find? You find that those who humbly trust in God, who grow closer to Him, even though the circumstances are difficult, even though they might not get the answers that they would like to have from God, they are the ones who grow closer to Him and go on to live blessed and joyful lives. It's true. But on the other hand, those who just can't get over what God has done to them. Those who can't understand why God would allow certain evils to happen. As a result, they grow bitter toward Him. And you know what happens in their life? Their life doesn't get easier. Does it? It becomes much more difficult and much more frustrating. If you were here this morning and you were hurting because of a tragedy in your life. Let me urge you this morning, if you have not, draw close to God. Continue to love and trust in Him. Know that He is on the throne. He is in control. He is good. Cling to Him. Trust in Him. Love, serve, and remain faithful to Him. And He will bring you through it. So avoid self-righteousness in tragic times. Solomon goes on to say, Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? In this verse, Solomon explains those who are kind of on the other end of the spectrum here when responding to these mysteries of life. There are some who say, well, if the wicked prosper in this life, that must mean that God is not too serious about sin. If the wicked go on to prosper in this life, if He allows them to prosper, then, then He must be okay with it. Some say, God, if You're not going to trade me blessing for obedience in the here and now, then I'm just going to go do my own thing. I'm just going to go live the way I want to live and create my own happiness. Solomon says, those who reason in this way are also foolish. And this reasoning, this response, it doesn't end well. Because listen, though there are short-term, there may be short-term enjoyment to this type of living, there are long-term consequences to these actions. There are. Solomon says this type of living with no bounds, it can result in God's punishment in the here and now. Though God definitely punishes sin in the then and there in the life to come, we know from the Scriptures, God also punishes this type of sinful activity in this life. I mean, He does, doesn't He? I mean, I've seen consequences to sin in this life, haven't you? So this ungodly response is to be rejected as well. So what, how are we supposed to respond to life's difficulties? Well, Solomon gives us an answer in verse 18. 
He says, it is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Solomon is basically saying here, the way to avoid the wrong answers to life's tough questions is to have a right view of God. And this goes back to what we said a few weeks ago and what we've been talking about in our equipping class. You know the reason why theology is necessary? You know why it's, why it's uh, important that we study about who God is and what He's done for us? Is because what we believe about God necessarily influences the way we live. In other words, right thinking leads to right living. If we don't think rightly about God, we are not going to live rightly for Him. And that's Solomon's point. To avoid the wrong answers to life's tough questions, we need to have a right view of God. Solomon says we need to fear God. We need to stand in awe of Him, be astounded by Him, be amazed at Him, be captivated by Him, have a profound respect for Him. And you know what happens? You know what results when we think of God in this way? When we humbly draw near to Him in this way, you know what happens instead of being self-righteous? Get this. We become humble. Instead of being wicked, we are able to live in a way that honors God. So that's how to properly respond to life's difficulties. Have a correct view of God. Second, if we want to honor God, we need to value wisdom above all else. Like we've said several times before in this study, we have a tendency to place a lot of, of value upon things that God really considers secondary, don't we? Things like money and possessions and popularity and power. Solomon, he makes the point once again in verse 19 that wisdom is to be preferred. We talked a little bit about this last week, but look at what he says in verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Solomon's point here is simply this. Wisdom is better than having power and prominence and influence. And remember, Solomon proved he believed this, didn't he? Remember? When God came to Solomon and he said, Whatever you ask from me, I'm going to give it to you. What did Solomon ask for? Did he ask for power? Did he ask for money? Did he ask for success? What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom, didn't he? And the reason why is because he wanted to better know the mind and the heart of God so he could rule God's people well. You see, Solomon, he wanted to rule God's people in a God-honoring way and, and wanted to be a good representative for God, which is why he valued wisdom above all else. And we know that greatly pleased the Lord, didn't it? And that's what God wants from us. He does. He wants you and me to value wisdom. God doesn't care about how popular we are. He doesn't care about the amount of money we make. He doesn't care about how successful we are. That doesn't impress God. What God wants from you and from me is for us to be growing in our knowledge of Him. And in turn, be, be, He wants us to live for Him and represent Him in daily life. Whether we work at Mickey D's or whether we, work as a, uh, whether we are a CEO for a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter. That's what God wants. He 
wants us to live for Him, to represent Him, to love, serve, and obey Him. So you want to honor God? Then seek to know His mind and His heart. Seek to grow in wisdom and live rightly for Him. Number three, don't think too highly of yourself. If you want to honor God with your life, you need to have a right view of yourself. Look at what Solomon says in verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Now, this message, let's be honest, this goes completely counter to the beliefs and teachings of, of those in our world, doesn't it? I mean, this world thinks of man as, you know, not that bad. Inherently good, not evil. Many believe that there is good in each and every one of us, and if we mess up, it's society's fault. And it's not our fault, because we're good, we're, we're pure. Well, not according to the Scriptures. That's the only problem. This goes counter to what Scripture teaches. Don't believe me, just reread this verse or look at Romans 3. In Romans 3, Paul tells us, sin is universal. It has affected everyone without exception. And as a result of that sin, we are guilty before God and accountable to Him. Believers, this goes for us as well. We need to be honest with ourselves. Though the penalty of sin has been removed from our life, the power of sin and the presence of sin are still very real and very much an issue in our lives and in our world. Every one of you in here, me included, struggle with sin. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, how do you know? You know, you don't know me. Who are you to tell me that I'm struggling with sin? You don't know me. Well, that's true. That may be true. But guess what? I know the God that knows you. You know what the God who knows you says? He says in His Word, there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. I hope I never communicate that to you about myself. Many of you know better. If you have your doubt, I mean, just ask my wife. She'll, she'll tell you. She'll tell you. I hope I never communicate that to you, that I don't struggle with sin, that sin is not an issue for me. I want you to know right here and right now that it is. And don't believe anyone who tells you that it's not because it is. We need to have a right view of ourselves, And you know what? We need to project that right view to one another. Believers, we need to hold one another accountable, don't we? We need to be honest and open with one another about our struggles. And, and we also need to encourage one another to live rightly for God and to press on in godliness so that we can honor Him with our lives. Solomon continues by saying in verse 21 and 22, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that, that many times you yourself have cursed others. Solomon continues here with making this point that we need to have a correct view of ourselves. 
He tells his readers here, hey, don't take yourself too seriously. He's talking to us. We don't need to take ourselves too seriously here. If you want to live a God-honoring life, you need to learn, according to Solomon, just to let stuff roll off you when people are critical of you. You know why? Because people, they're going to talk, aren't they? They are. They're going to talk about you. But I want you to get this. If you get all up in arms every time someone is critical about you or says something critical toward you, what does that say about you? What does that say about me? Could it be that we might be taking ourselves a little too seriously? Just think about what people would would say about you if they really knew you. Thank goodness they don't, right? Also remember this. Solomon says here, we're not completely innocent, are we? I mean, we're all guilty of the same thing. Each and every one of us, we have spoken ill of someone and we have been judgmental toward others. Let's be honest, if we get all upset when people talk about us, we're really holding them to a higher standard than we hold ourselves because we're guilty of doing the same things. So if you want to honor God, you have to have a correct view of yourself. You have to be humble before Him and not take yourself too seriously. Number four, accept the fact that you don't know everything. You want to honor God? You need to accept the fact that you are limited in your knowledge of Him. Look at verse 23 through 25. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things, but to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Though the Scriptures are crystal clear on the essentials, though we have everything we need to be saved and to live rightly for God, there are some things about God and His ways that are still mysterious. They are beyond us. They go beyond reason. And the Scriptures say this. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, you can mark that down for later. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are secret things about God, His person, and His work that we don't know. And get this, we we probably couldn't wrap our minds around it even if He did reveal those things to us. Now get this, this should not discourage us. It shouldn't. But it should in fact encourage us because it shows us how great God truly is. I mean, if we could wrap our minds around all He is, and if we could comprehend all that God does, He wouldn't be that great, would He? I mean, if God could be figured out by a pea-brained 32-year-old like myself, He wouldn't be that impressive, would He? Good biblical theology. Right thinking about, about God, His person, and His work always leaves room for mystery when it comes to the things of God and His work. I would, I would steer clear of anyone who claims they've got God all figured out and His ways all figured out. 
You know why? You, you can, you can, I wouldn't say this to them, uh, to them directly because this might be a little too argumentative, but you can think it to yourself. Next time somebody claims to have all the answers, you can think this. Well, are you God? Are you God? Because to know God the way He knows Himself and to think about and, and to, uh, uh, to have the, the same perspective about God that He has about Himself is to be God. It is. And none of us are even close to that. I mean, there are, his, his ways are beyond us. Like I said, God did not, he did not leave us, though He did not leave us in the dark about how to be saved and how to live for Him. He did say that these secret things, they belong to Him. They are beyond us. In the past, I used to get miffed, just upset by the fact that there were all these questions in life that I could not answer. Questions I just could not explain. Questions like we talked about earlier. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And I just got upset that I couldn't, I didn't have the answers to all of these things. But you know what? As I continued to study the scriptures, you know what I found that God wants from me more than anything else? Not for me to come to, to know all the answers and, and know all the ins and outs of life's mystery. That's not what God wants. What God wants from me more than anything else is to come to, to the realization that He is God and I am not. And as a result, He wants me to leave the secret things to Him. Simply come before Him and trust in Him. That's what God wants. He wants you and me to accept the fact that we don't know everything. And in response, He wants us to put our trust in Him. Number five. You want to honor God, don't be influenced by the world. You want to live a life that counts, don't be influenced by the world. Look at verse 26. Solomon says, And I find something that's more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Now I believe there's more going on in verse 26 than simply what we read. I believe that Solomon is being a bit transparent here. You see, Solomon had fallen into the trap that he's warning against here in this verse. In his search for wisdom, Solomon was often sidetracked by some unwise choices he made regarding women. We're told that there were some women that Solomon married from other nations who turned his heart away from God. So I believe Solomon, he's speaking from experience here in this verse, but I also believe there is a greater application to be made from this verse of Scripture to us. I believe that this verse can be applied to all of our relationships. I mean, let's be honest. Friends, they're extremely influential, aren't they? They are. Not just those of the opposite sex, but those of the same sex. Those are our closest friends. They're extremely influential. Therefore, we need to choose our relationships carefully. Now, some get upset when they hear me say this. Thinking to themselves, Graham, it just sounds like you're telling me I need to live in a Christian bubble. Well, I don't want to do that. I mean, I've got 
non-believing friends and I'm I'm a Christian and I'm able to reach them in ways that others can't. To which I would reply, hey, that's great as long as you're the one doing the influencing. But more often than not, the opposite is true, right? I mean, we've seen this a lot. I've seen married men hanging out with their wild and single friends, and you know what results out of that? These married guys wanting to be wild and single. And it ends up getting them in trouble. I've heard stories about recovering alcoholics going back to hang out with their old drinking buddies after they've been uh, sober for a period of time. And this hanging out with their old buddies eventually results in them picking the bottle up again. I mean, if the world were not influential, if people were not influential, think about this. We would not be warned time and time and time again from the Word of God to guard against it. Listen to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The psalmist is basically saying here, if we want to resist the temptation of the world, we have to be firmly grounded in the Word. Number six. Don't go at life on your own. Verse 27 through 29. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all of these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now Solomon says a lot here just to make a simple point. Here's Solomon's point. His point is godly wisdom is hard to find. And you know why? Because we naturally live our lives and seek to find enjoyment in life apart from God. Let's be honest. That's the message of the world today, isn't it? In our world, the message is this. Hey, if you want to be happy, if you want to enjoy your life, you got to do what's best for you. you got to follow your heart. You ever heard that before? Do what feels right. Let your conscience be your guide. How many of you have heard these phrases? All of us, right? How many of you have given this advice before? Maybe you have. Do you know what's being communicated to people? With this message, when we, when we tell someone, hey, you got to do what's best for you, you know what we're communicating? What you're saying is this, repeat the sin of Adam. Is that not what he did? Solomon tells us in this verse, God created man upright, perfect in every way, and in right relationship with him. But what did man do? He chose to go against God. He sought out many schemes and he went against God's word and went at life on his own without God's guidance. And that is the major sin of our world today. I mean, we are still doing this today, aren't we? 
When you do whatever you think is right, apart from God, when, when we are led by our sinful desires, when we go at life on our own, apart from God, we are guilty of doing the same thing Adam and Eve did. Solomon says, if you want to honor God with your life, you have to resist the sin of Adam. You have to resist this sin of going at life on your own, and instead you need to be guided and directed by the Lord God. You need to get in step with Him. Here's the last point. If you want to honor God with your life, number seven, correctly express what you confess and believe. Our oldest daughter, Ava Grace, is at this stage in her life where she's not always on the up and up with us. And, and nine times out of ten, we will know she's done something wrong just by her demeanor. So when we notice something is not right with her, we'll ask her, Ava Grace, what's wrong? What did you do? And she'll normally say, oh, nothing But like I said, nine times out of ten, we know something's wrong, even though she tells us it's not. And as we ask more questions and continue to investigate a bit further, she will finally give in and say, I didn't mean to. Then we know something's up, something's broken, something's not right. And you know, the same is true of us. It is. A lot of the time, our demeanor gives us away, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what we say, it's how we respond to certain situations. That's what's truly de- uh, uh, um, revealing. Our demeanor, it speaks volumes. Look at what Solomon says in chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. In the first part of verse 1, Solomon asked a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? And the answer, of course, is because it's a rhetorical question, it, it deserves a negative answer. The answer is no one. Solomon is saying here, the man or woman who studies God's word, who honors God's word, who submits himself or herself to God's word, and who knows God's will for his or her life. This is a truly wise person, and there is no one who compares to him or her. He continues by saying this, A man like this, a man, a wise man or woman, makes his or her face, a wise man's wisdom makes his or her face shine, and the hardness of their face is changed. In other words, when we come to understand who God is and what He has done for us and what that means for us, get this, our demeanor should change. It should. Ask yourself this question. How many Christians do you know that you would say, man, that person is joyous? I mean, it is obvious that the joy of the Lord is that person's strength. Now here's the sad part about it. sad part about it is you had to think about it for a minute. What makes it even more sad than that is you probably only came up with one or two people. Solomon says God's perspective, God's wisdom, it should cause our, our face to, to shine. As we grow in our knowledge of who God is and what He's done through His Word, it should transform our demeanor. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're lacking joy from your life. Let me ask you this. Are you reading God's Word? Are you studying the Scriptures? Are you turning to God for guidance and direction in your life? Are you approaching this book right here with this mentality? God, I'm going to approach your Word this morning and if there is anything out of line in my life, just shape me and make me more of who you want me to be. And do it through your word. Listen, if we're not hearing from God through his word, if we're not growing in our knowledge of him through the scriptures, is there any wonder why many of us are stuck in gloom? Is there any wonder why we are, we are just beat down by the world? Is there any wonder why... We have the same fears and frustrations as unbelievers if we are not getting God's perspective from His Word. Solomon says we need to get God's perspective and correctly express what we confess and believe. So you want to live a God-honoring life? You want to live a life that's honoring and glorifying to Him? This is what it takes. Now, there's maybe some of you here this morning thinking to yourself, well, if that's the case, I hate to think of what God thinks of me because the beliefs and practices that Solomon says are honoring to God are not my beliefs and practices. Maybe you're like the person Solomon describes in verse 29, who instead of living upright for God, Instead of living a life of love and service to Him, you have sought out many schemes. In other words, up to this point in your life, you have sought happiness apart from God. You have repeated the very sin of Adam in that you have rejected God's rule and reign in your life and you have sought to carve out a life for yourself apart from Him. Believe me when I tell you this morning, Believe Solomon from this text and from this book that any pursuit of happiness apart from God, get this, it ends in misery. John Piper once said, coming home to God is where all deep and lasting satisfaction is found. I want to invite you this morning, if you have not, to come home to God. I want to invite you this morning to abandon your pursuit of happiness apart from Him And begin your pursuit of Him. Today, if you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, get this, you can come to experience true and lasting satisfaction that only comes from knowing God 